0: Universal
1: Director Uva Bolt, Uva, you made your fortune turning video games into hit movies,
2: and today is a big day. Absolutely, and I want to explain a little about the financing of my movies because you know there are all that rumors out that my movies are financed with Nazi gold, and what should I say? It's true.
0: But somebody must do something with the money. Welcome to now playing podcast review of Postal.
2: Paul, I'm Vince Desi. What the fuck you do to my game, Postal? I don't know what your fucking problem is. The movie is great.
0: Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. According to
2: leading experts,
0: video games are the number one cause of violence. Hosted by Arnie. I get a little horny here on stage sometimes. Justin.
1: can't believe I took this fucking job.
0: And Stuart.
2: What the fuck did you bring him for? Who the fuck are you people?
0: This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language.
3: Oh, what are you going to fire me for saying fuck? Well, fuck you, fuck, fuck you, Dan. I'm the fucking show. You mind if I go to work now?
0: Listener discretion is advised. Will Gary. Make me a star.
2: Today, we're going postal. Starring Zach Ward, Dave Foley, Chris Coppola, Jackie Tone, J.K. Simmons. And Vern Troyer. So many people in here, including Uva Bool. Yeah, and Osama bin Laden and George Bush. <laughs> Directed by Uva Bool. This is the now playing co host who always loves a good God job, Uncle Arnie and Stuart. And
1: this is Justin and I Regret everything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's the tagline of the game. I regret nothing. Postal, the video game. I knew of this. This was coming out when I was still heavily into PC gaming. I remember seeing the boxes. I remember reading the reviews because I was so big into PC gamer and Computer Gaming World magazines and it didn't get good reviews, so I never played it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the game's
3: reputation. You mentioned the word PC. You're talking about a personal computer, 1997 is also the era of political correctness.
2: We left that? Well,
3: yeah, (laughs) I do feel like It came about, I remember first hearing that term in 1991, and yeah, by this point, it had sort of reached an arms race, a Cold War, if you will, with games. Some of the most controversial games of all time will come out to combat that in 1997. Same year, Postal is Grand Theft Auto, and a game called Carmageddon, where you're running
2: down old ladies in the street. I played two of those. I played Carmageddon. Carmageddon was great. I mean, we talked on the Need for Speed show about my love for racing games. Now imagine racing games where I also get bonus points for hitting the old lady in her shopping cart. I mean, that's just good times right there. (laughs) Right. And they were always there. I
3: mean, controversial games have always existed all the way back to Atari 2600. You could rape an Indian squaw in Custer's Last Stand.
2: That was not an official game, though. That That was a bootleg thing Atari never would have signed off
3: on. Right. To be fair, but if you knew the right retailer and they had it under the counter, you could have been playing this in 82, 83. And we've talked about on Doom, we've talked about on Mortal Kombat. It was an arms race to keep adding more and more gore. But I do think that you know let's face it if the audience is adolescent men they're probably the least likely to be one of told what to do how to say it you just love this stuff when you're a young guy i know i did i really did like the spirit of a middle finger to what was proper i didn't play postal i was a little old for it at this point i was graduating college but it didn't horrify me i didn't think it needed senate hearings i didn't want to put it at its feet that columbine happened
2: Yeah, I am so anti-censorship. Video games, music, rap music, playing Led Zeppelin backwards, none of this causes shootings. Guns don't cause shootings. You know what causes shootings? Crazy fuckers. A normal person will not play a video game and be incited to then go shoot up a bunch of innocent people. I think that's fair, which is not to say that
3: we shouldn't censor it from getting into impressionable hands. I mean, that's a larger debate, but I agree. For you and I, we feel like we're normal. We know that we're not going to lose control. We can play something like Postal, and it irritated us that people out there said, no,
2: if you play Postal, then you're part of the problem. And I also played the original Grand Theft Auto, which you're talking about these, but all of these are so rudimentary graphics. When people should get upset is like five years later when the sequel's come out and just a really almost photoreal graphic depictions.
1: You know, listen to this, kind of as a parent, it's funny to me because I've had to walk some of these lines like yes, I do not support censorship on any level. I think it's just bad for America and freedom. But as a parent, I do appreciate The ESRB, you know, or at least what they're trying to do in spirit, which is give you shorthand what to expect in a game like this, because the older I get, the less time I have to actually like sit down, play a game and say whether or not it's okay for one of my kids to play it. But at the same time, I am raising my kids. And I know they don't have violent tendencies, and if they want to sit down and play Grand Theft Auto, no big deal. I mean, it's actually kind of funny. Like, Rory, my youngest, she wanted to play Grand Theft Auto when she was probably too young to be seeing some of that stuff. But my rule was, okay, you can play if you just want to drive around and you don't kill anybody. So that was fun. You know, she played a game that's not meant for her age, but, you know... She could have fun doing it
3: her way. And I do know that in later Postal sequels, to address some of that controversy, they made it possible, very, very difficult, but possible to do the entire game without pulling out a weapon. You don't have to kill someone to win Postal 2. But it's called Postal, right? I mean, I mentioned in our Summer of 86 sci-fi retrospective, that term, going postal, has its roots in summer of 86, August. There was a postman that walked into his facility and shot up 14 of his co-workers. And the New York Times later, when
2: there was other shootings at works, it just became known as going postal. But that wasn't the only one. That was the first one. I think going postal was a 90s term because there were three more postal shootings in the
3: 90s. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. New York Times coined it in 93 when more of those kinds of things. Happen, but they were referencing that original postman losing it you don't have to be a postman to do it it is weird i just want to put it out there i'm not out for censorship but i do as an advocate for good taste wonder if okay in 86 somebody does this and we're horrified in 97 everyone is encouraged to do it in a video game that is strange
2: all right but i have played now all three main postal games it's strange to me the postal games have had real legs in online distribution like the company that makes them running with scissors is still putting out new levels for the old games and things it's crazy to me but here's what honestly pissed me off in none of the games are you a postman Why are you calling it Postal? (laughs) You're not shooting up your office. In the very first game, you play a guy known only as Postal Dude, and it turns out, You're in a mental ward, and you're having a fantasy about going on a rampage and killing cops and killing all these people, and it comes to an end, the last level, you're shooting school children, but you can't hurt them. Mm -hmm. And so, then you wake up and you're in the psychiatric hospital. So, I think this is actually misnamed. I think that they were seeking controversy and attention with the title, but the game, it felt like just any kind of shooter, and... It didn't have much in the way of a plot. I mean, it just starts off by saying the earth is hungry and it needs to drink. And so you want to spill blood. You have to kill people on that game because each level, it says at the top, you must kill this many people and then you can advance to the next level.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for the reason it's called Postal is exactly that, Arnie. It's because they were going for offense. They were going for headlines. And I tell you, I never played the first game. Postal came on my radar when Postal 2 was being made and looking for a publisher. And Vince Desi, the owner of Running With Scissors, came to the company I work for looking for us to be a publisher and distributor for this game. So we met with Vince Desi, who happens to be in this movie. Mm -hmm. We had a meeting with him. And one of the first things that came very apparent was this guy is very ego driven. One of the first things he said to us is this game is called Vince Desi's Postal 2 and he wanted his name above the title. He really wanted his name out there. And the whole meeting was him talking about how this is just gonna capture headlines and it'll do great. And we passed at the time because our model was more retail sales and our boss didn't wanna put our name with a property like this. But you can see, I mean, it was a very much planned attack on the way to get this marketed is the whole idea behind this game and the series.
3: I watched walkthroughs. I didn't bother to actually play it. It just didn't seem like a type of game I would enjoy with or without the controversial elements of it. It's a shooter. I'm not always so into those, but I noticed it got better. I do think that Postal 2, for a couple different reasons, one, the graphics, the perspective is better. It's more of a 3D shooter and not this top-down. I didn't
2: really like the way the first game looked. The first game had an isometric perspective, and it was terrible to control because you're moving and yet you have to use the mouse to move the target and every time you move the target hops around they did do a remake of it called postal redo and they improved the control somewhat but man that game was difficult even on the easy level because it was impossible to target shit it's funny because postal one is isometric with everybody looking like tiny little icons like command and conquer people if People that played that more popular game. 2 became a first-person shooter where you don't even see the person. It's just like Doom, just like Wake. It's actually using the Unreal game engine, and it is the high point of the series. I got to admit, I got pretty into Postal 2. Justin, your company may have made a mistake. <laughs> Very possibly. It's
1: one of those things where we kept an eye on it, and I don't know if it was worth trading a reputation for or not, but I wouldn't mind attaching myself to it. I I have no problems with that type of thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I think helps. The game in Postal 2 is that they go for funny. The first game, you're mad. You're insane. Mm -hmm. And so none of it is supposed to be funny. It's all bloodlust. And here you're shooting people in the head, but they're zombies because they ate mad cow hamburgers. (laughs) And the Taliban breaks into your town. It's just a little bit more absurd. At one point, you're a mall cop trying to protect like a porn star. And like you just have a taser zapping all these butch lesbians that are protesting.
2: I loved fighting the Gary Coleman army myself, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and I also liked fighting the anti-gamers, because in this one, Postal Dude works at Running With Scissors, and the very first thing you do is go in there and find out you're fired, but there's protesters outside that are saying, games are bad, they make people mad, games are, and then they finally just break out in gunfire and start attacking inside, and I could not get out of it without shooting. I mean, those people were coming after me. You're the number one target. Despite the fact that other people from Running With Scissors were in the game, I was the one everybody was shooting at. If I wanted out, I had to pick up a machine gun and fire back, or humorously, I could pick up one of the protest placards and start smacking people with it, and yeah, it's funny. It's a lot like the movie we're going to talk about. Several of the plot points are straight from this game. The character's attitude is pretty much from this game. Postal 2 set the stage for the movie we're going to talk about.
3: Yes, 2002, Postal 2 comes out. That is the same year that Bull acquires it. And so he doesn't have the reputation yet as being the video game guy. I wonder why he wants to make it. Because in 2002, he also releases a movie called
2: Heart of America. Do you guys know this film? Is that the 1968 Vietnam film? No. It sounds like an Ayn Rand type of thing.
3: No, no, no. (laughs) It's a heartfelt drama about angry teens picking up guns on the last day of school and shooting their creative writing teacher and all the people that bullied them. It is a fictionalized retelling of Columbine, and he is deadly serious about the heart of America has these social ills that must be confronted. Why the hell would you want to then follow it up with Postal? I do not know. Five years later, he's making Postal. But I did watch Heart of America. And it's surprising because it's got all the people you know from House of the Dead and Alone in the Dark To Clint Howard is like an abusive dad doing a dramatic take on all of that. If you watch Mad Men or Handmaiden's Tale, it's one of Elizabeth Moss' first movies. I'm like, oh my God, she's a pregnant teenager. It's a really odd mix of Uwe Vole action movie and like an after-school special. It's not very good, but it's not very bad either. You would look at that film and not know how terrible he could make a film.
1: Well, I wonder, it sounds like maybe, you know, that was a good earnest attempt from Uwe Boll and like the harsh criticism that he got from it switched something in him where he's like, F it. If I'm not going to get recognized for the artist." that I think I am, I'm just gonna turn the other way and make garbage and make people
2: hate me over it. Well, you're close, Justin. It was a different movie that bombed that really made Uva go postal. He said in the commentary, and just a note on this commentary as an aside, he starts by saying, life is short, And you shouldn't have to listen to over 90 minutes of the same commentaries over and over where it's like, working with this person was great. Oh, this person was great. The caterer was great. The boom mic guy was great. He's going to really tell you the truth and the business behind movie making. And make sure you're not wasting your time. And as somebody who listens to a shit ton of movie commentaries, I appreciated this. He then proceeds to take not one, not two, not three, but four phone calls in German. (laughs) He doesn't pause the commentary. He just starts talking in German. He's like, oh, I have a New York Times interview coming up. I can't not answer the calls. (laughs) But on the commentary, he's complaining about his movie In the Name of the King, Mm hmm. We'll be covering it. It's based on the game Dungeon Siege.
3: Okay, well, it bombed. Yes. And (laughs) they made two more, though. Failure is never going to stop Uva.
2: Yeah, he was also mad because Blood Rain bombed.
3: Yeah, I mean, let's just face it. In 2002, Uwe Boll was becoming a known quantity. In 2007, Uwe Boll is considered the worst filmmaker of all time. And so he's got chips on his shoulder. He is wanting to pick up a gun and shoot all the
2: people that bullied him, just like the characters in Heart of America. He said that he took this pathos and he wrote two scripts in parallel. One was Postal, this was the positive energy, going to make a comedy mocking all of those who mocked him. But he also was making a horror movie. I'm pretty sure it's called Revenge, which is the angry side of him. Both movies were made, and... Yeah, this is the more lighthearted of his angst. And this is the time when he was boxing his critics. I think we mentioned this about Uva. He did that as a stunt for Postal. Mm-hmm. He was going to include that in Postal, the movie. He said it didn't fit the story, it didn't fit the script. So it's a bonus feature on the Blu-ray is watching Uva box people from Ain't It Cool News. And <laughs> sadly it was not Harry Knowles who probably deserved it it from the things I'm hearing about him, but I'll tell you this. Again, I mentioned Uva follows me on Twitter. I'm scared. That guy can throw a freaking punch. Some of those critics, they were bloodied. They had the full headgear on and everything. And there was blood streaming down their faces. I expected one to go, yo, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, it was fun
3: to watch. They call it Raging Bull. That's what the little feature it is called. I think it streams if you want to Google it. It's probably better than buying this DVD. But yes, it was a part of this movie's promotion to say, I'm going to reject you before you reject me. I mean, it's a classic tact. Like, okay, I'm going to make a movie so offensive that everyone's going to say it's horrible because they can't take it. Because I'm telling them how bad America and all these things are and they just can't handle it. And we're going to put it out the same weekend as an Indiana Jones movie. So, of course, it's going to fail at the box office. But I'm just going to be able to write it off that everyone likes the magic of Spielberg. Ain't nobody like Kingdom of a Crystal Skull. They didn't see your movie because it was shit
2: uva well all right a couple things on that first of all nobody knew crystal skull was shit opening weekend everybody oh. goes based on the last one in the nostalgia but the other thing is bowl said on the commentary i think the phrase for this movie if we had you know peewee's word of the day today's word is brave mm. this film is brave Because you look at these anti-Nazi films like Munich and all the others, there's nothing brave about going against Nazis. You're right.
3: It's much braver to uh, have a theme park in which you can play in a concentration camp.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And he said that by making this film... By portraying Germans as all Nazis, he may not be able to go back to Germany and not be harassed. By portraying Al-Qaeda, Muslims could attack him. Honestly, that's kind of true. This was around the time of some of the Muhammad cartoon sketches and things. Well, sure, considering he had a bunch of Jewish actors playing Arabs as well. So yeah. And this was supposed to have a 1,500 screen release in America. 1,496 of those theaters pulled out, and some of them that talked to Uva said they were afraid of Muslim fundamentalists attacking the theater. So it got four screens. And Uva even tried to spread that number by renting theaters, like we talked about Tommy Wiseau doing with The Room. Mm -hmm. And in New York and L.A., they wouldn't even rent it if Uva paid them because they were afraid of attacks.
3: Yeah, again, but this is all his own self-creation. You'll reject me because I hit you. And that's just his state of mind. In making this film, I'm not going to make a movie you can like. I'm going to hit you in the face and you're going to say, let me have another. Because that's the relationship he has with audiences at this point. He doesn't want to live through the embarrassment of low box office numbers and people giving it 5% on Rotten tomatoes. He's going to head him off at the pass and say, see, I
2: reject you. But look at the movies of the time. I mean, when I watch this, I can't think of anything so much as it's contemporary Team America World Police. There's a very foul film that also mocks Islamic extremism and portrays America as this paragon and yet also has a lot of dirty sex and things in it. So I think that even though, yes, Uva was very angry, I do think he wanted respect as a comedic filmmaker. I do think he was not just punching. He was punching and saying, don't you like me? Yeah. One of
3: his earliest films was German Fried Movie, which is a riff on Kentucky Fried Movie. Not many people know that John Landis spoof film, but it is a, a Kind of just a string of skits. And I do feel like at his heart, Uva wants to be funny here. He wants to shock lass out of you. And you're right. Shock comedy is all the rage in the 2000s from Borat to South Park. Yes, we are a culture that fully embraces it. If there ever was a time to release a movie like this, 2007 would have been it.
1: Yeah, and for shot comedy, for satire, for any of that dark comedy to land, it's really going to depend on one, who's portraying what to us and how is it being told? Is there a story that we can attach ourselves to? Is there is there a plot that we can follow to make these things land?
2: But Uva also I think kind of viewed this As his Fahrenheit 911 film, because on that commentary, there's like a 25 minute diatribe against George W. Bush and Halliburton and just railing against how George Bush said God told him it was right to invade Iraq and that Iraq was never funding Al Qaeda and everybody knew it and it was a war for money and all of this. In 2003,
1: that's biting commentary. In 2007, And that's just kind of rote and everybody knows that already.
3: Not everyone wanted to hear it, but I do think that there was an audience that had processed that. And yes, change was coming very soon. George Bush would not have a job much longer.
2: And Uva said it's brave to make this film while Bush is still president. Too easy to do until after somebody else was elected. So, yeah, he... Really thought he was going somewhere with this movie. Justin, you said your company wouldn't touch Postal the Game because it was too controversial. Some people who wouldn't touch this movie. And Uva was mad about this. He said that these people said that the movie was too filthy. I'm thinking they just may not want to work with Uva, but Rob Schneider? <laughs> Sarah Silverman. Sure. Dave Cross. Yeah, comedians. Established comedians would not want to work with a guy that's so unfunny. Well, they all kind of wanted, maybe not Sarah Silverman, but the others were going to be Uncle Dave. They finally got Dave Foley. So he's an established comedian, and he came in. Kids in the hall, right? Yeah. Yep.
1: Breaks my heart to see him in this movie. I'll just tell you that right up front.
2: I love Kids (laughs) in the Hall, but he was great in news radio. He was the star of that NBC sitcom for a very long time. I just see him all the time in various movies and TV shows. And I think because of Kids in the Hall, he's just almost always a pleasant person. Now, while making this movie, Uva sent the script over to CAA and all the main casting agencies, and the agencies would not allow a single actor to audition for this. Uva ended up just kind of using word of mouth and had an open call, and that's where JK Simmons and Dave Foley and anyone you've ever heard of that's in this film, they just showed up and said, "We want to be part of your movement, Uva." But They certainly weren't put there by their agents. Their agents were telling them, don't do that movie.
3: Yeah, and he couldn't have really thought that he was going to get A-list or even B-list talent with this. Again, this is a middle finger. He can now say, oh yes, those agents, they're just all part of the problem. I see a a lot of self-righteousness in the way that
2: he's set up this movie really to fail. Again, I think Dave Foley is B-List. I think he's your biggest star in this movie. I would definitely call him, not A-List, but solid B-Lister.
1: Yeah, I mean, most successful, I would say, of the kids in the hall. You know, most commercially viable out of that crew of guys that all came up together. Network TV success and whatnot, but he's not a household name. For someone like us who grew up with kids in the hall, to see him here kind of gives me hope going into this movie. Like, oh, all right. Dave Foley.
2: I'll agree. Looking at this movie cover, I had a little bit of hope. I mean, you've got Scott Farkas from A Christmas Story with a gun. (laughs) A Christmas Story? Yeah, A Christmas Story. We last saw him in Alone in the Dark 2. Yes. Did he get his tongue stuck on the pole? No, that that was a different one. Okay. I don't know. This guy wore like a coonskin hat. Yellow eyes. So help me God, he had yellow eyes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes,
3: sort of vaguely.
2: And every time we talk about him, including Alone in the Dark 2, I just keep mentioning he was a bit player in Freddy vs. Jason, which is where I recognize him as an adult from. But yeah, I see Vern Troyer. I see Dave Foley. I'm like, this could be solid. The trailer looked brave. <laughs> 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 Very <laughs> brave. Arnie, why don't you be brave and get through the plot? In Paradise, Arizona, lives someone who we'll only know as the Postal Dude, played by Zach Ward. He has a miserable life. He's unemployed, his massively obese wife cheats on him constantly, he can't get his welfare check, and he can't bring up the courage to hit on attractive barista Faith, played by Jackie Tone. Desperate for money, Postal Dude turns to his Uncle Dave, the head of a religious cult, played by Dave Foley. Dave Foley, brave. We'll talk about it. <laughs> but Dave has his own problems as the IRS wants over a million dollars for overdue taxes. Together, Dave and dude concoct a plot to make some money. They're going to steal the country's only shipment of in-demand crotchy dolls, which are selling for $4,000 a piece online. So they're going to invade Uva Bowl's amusement park called Little Germany, where the dolls are sold and steal them. But Dave and Dude aren't the only ones who want the dolls. Osama Bin Laden, played by soup Nazi Larry Thomas, is living in Arizona, regularly having phone calls with BFF George W. Bush. Osama also wants to steal the dolls so they can put the avian flu in the dolls and kill the infidels. The two factions end up in a massive gunfight in which mostly children are shot. But also shot is Harry, a disabled man that police officer Greg uses to make money. So Greg and his partner John are after the postal dude, and they put his face all over the news to track him down. But things get worse when Dave's right-hand man Richie, played by Chris Coppola, reveals he is a true believer in the Bible of Dave, and the apocalypse must come via the avian flu. He kills Uncle Dave and goes to spread the flu with the crotchy dolls.
3: And chimpanzees, somehow. I I don't quite get his plot, but fortunately
2: it's thwarted. (laughs) Dude teams up with Uncle Dave's harem and arms up. They go and kill everyone. Dude's wife, her lovers, Al-Qaeda, the cops. And along the way, Dude picks up Faith, who joins him in his killing spree. But Bin Laden escapes Dude's gunshots and calls W. And W goes on TV blaming the entire firefight on China and Pakistan and says he nuked China in retaliation, but China nuked back. And W and bin Laden literally hold hands and skip into the distance as a nuclear apocalypse engulfs the world and credits roll.
3: Yeah, the tone is set right away. We are starting at 9-11 and the cockpit of the plane has been taken over by Nabi and Asif. And they're having a debate about how many virgins they're going to get for what they're about to do. And they were told different things. So the joke is we got to call up Osama and he can't guarantee more than 20 virgins in the afterlife.
2: And the actual number is 72, so he was shooting high with this 99-100 number. Uva was very proud. These actors were both actors from Munich, here playing Islamic terrorists and having fun doing so. But yeah, they are recreating the first plane crash into the World Trade Center six years after the fact, Yeah, and fudging history a little. Like, the
3: reason why it crashes is not because they drove it in there. They were actually like, you know what? We're going to get laid. We have better chances if we go to the Bahamas. They were going to turn the plane around. It's only because the people pushed their way into the cockpit that it crashed. But, um, shh. Too soon? Will it ever be ready? Here's the thing. I mean, there is an audience for this. I want to just put it out there. It is not my sense of humor. And I think I've gotten in trouble... For other podcasts, not liking movies when they're in this sense of humor. Deadpool movies. Don't like them. And a big reason why is it can't wait to fart in your face. This is a movie that wants to fart in your face. And some people are going to laugh. This opening scene will be funny to some. I'll say right now. I'm one of those
1: people that will go ahead and admit that I like good satire. I'm not above well-written toilet humor and stuff like that. But it's not just going to be anything that is thrown right at you. And... Watching this opening scene, I will give it to these two actors. Some of the comedic timing that they have going here is working on a certain level. And, you know, you juxtapose that against the situation that they're in, and you realize what's happening, that it's 9-11. You're right, it sets the tone of this movie, and what it tells me is it's tone deaf. Because if you're going to be shocking and have a sense of humor about it, well, this joke is about five years too late to be on the edge, And it's probably about 10 years too early to just be kind of passingly funny.
2: See, and that's where I'm sitting is I'm not in favor of any form of censorship. I believe people should be allowed to make jokes as tasteless as they want. And other people are allowed to patronize or not that person. But in 2007, I think for me, it would have been too soon. I was still very much a raw nerve after 9-11. We were still going and visiting Ground Zero and seeing the progress annually. It was just really fresh. Now we're in 2018. This is my first time watching it. Enough time has passed where if this were funny, I'd be okay with it. The problem is I don't think they're maximizing the comedic potential. I think the argument about the number of virgins is just unoriginal.
3: I think it's as good as some of Mel Brooks' comedy movies or Kentucky Fried movie. I think the joke is not, ha, 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 all these people died. The joke is, oh, some of Bin Laden is full of shit. Osama bin Laden is selling something he doesn't believe. And we're going to see as this character progresses, he's going to be called Sammy in the film. But he's very Americanized and he does not believe the jihad death threats that he televises. So that's kind of clever. I mean, that is a step above. Ha ha ha. Isn't it funny? People died on 9-11. It's important to at least give Uva that much credit.
2: Okay, yes. It is a little bit less tasteless than the Christy McAuliffe shampoo jokes we used to make Mm. when we were 11. Yeah, I mean,
3: I can definitely think of some just truly indefensible humor. And here I see a bit of wit. It's just that not to my taste. I mean, that's what I know from scene one. I'm not going to really like this movie, but can I at least recognize that for people that do, it will deliver the goods. That's what I'm looking at when we get to this trailer park in Paradise City. Is it real? Or was he just making a Guns N' Roses joke joke that Axel Rose was born in a trailer park in Paradise.
1: Well, Paradise does come directly from Postal 2 the video game. Right. So, if the joke is there, it's not on Uva, it's on Vince Desi and Crew at running the scissors.
2: Yeah, but it says in a subtitle that birthplace. It, yeah, and I think that's a joke. I believe he was born in Lafayette, Indiana, so no, he was not born in Paradise, Arizona, and Paradise City, the song, is not an homage to his homeland. Okay, I didn't know. It could have been. I, I Whatever. It's a pretty awful
3: representation of America. I can tell you that much. We get everything that you would expect someone who doesn't have a high opinion about America throwing at us, from clip-on ties to sour milk to dog poop and obese ladies watching wrestling in the bedrooms of trailers. It's a repulsive environment.
2: Agreed. I don't know if this is a feeling about all of America or specifically the trailer park. This was around the time My Name is Earl was going to be on television, too. Trailer park humor was in. The movie Joe Dirt was around this period. Oh, that was so influential. Yes. (laughs) we all remember where we were when that opened. This is a foreigner. It's worth pointing out. This is a German who has
3: something to say satirically about our country that he's starting here is yes, it is referencing the video game. This is where that game was set but it is also setting the tone for the comedy. We live in an awful environment. I think this is America in a microcosm.
2: I do find this entire trailer park to be completely repugnant, but I'm really glad that it's only in the trailer park that we see people with like this level of nasty teeth.
1: I'll agree with Stuart up to this point where if you extrapolate what we know already about Uva's feelings with George Bush, I think it might just be his take on George Bush's America, the, the people that may have put George Bush into power. Based on what was going on at the time, you know, poor white trash from the South, NASCAR type of thing. I think it's just kind of that shorthand rather than an indictment of all of America.
3: And satire is based on that. That's why a lot of people don't like it. You won't find a lot of likable characters in a satire by design. The point is to dislike a situation and that usually means populating it with really repugnant types. The one guy we're expected to like and stay with is Dude. He is trying to get a job. He has been unfairly blacklisted from legitimate work. He married a woman that was once beautiful and has turned on him and just become something that is
2: awful. And (laughs) I don't, I mean, I get it. I really do. But the fact that when they got married, you're going to see the wedding photos and she's this really attractive, thin woman. And that... She becomes this woman who the joke's going to be later. She's too obese to actually get out of the trailer. She cannot escape the trailer later. But somehow everybody wants to fuck her. Yeah, it's like a quest, you know, like the one guy, he gets a bag
3: of flour. He's trying to find the wet spot. Yeah, that is such an old
2: playground joke, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, talking about the old NASA jokes, Arnie, you're right, that's straight from third grade before you even get what you're saying. But up to this point in the movie, since we are talking about a video game movie, it is pretty faithful to the little bit of plot that you can pull from this game. In that game, you're sent out on stupid mundane missions to go get milk or go pick up your paycheck. And that's kind of what starts this movie out.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uva Boll has done this game correctly. He did not do House of the Dead right. He did not do Alone in the Dark right. But he is more or less nailing the spirit... Of this Postal video game, and I will give him that prop. I think that if you wanted to see this game come to life, and you see this dude flailing around in a grotesque world, you probably can't wait for him to pick up a gun and start mowing everyone down. The surprise is, it's going to take him a long time to do that. Most of the killing in this movie, the joke is Postal Dude is not responsible for.
2: Yeah, it is really a long time before we get to the deaths and way too long. I mean, in Postal 2, you can spend like 10 minutes getting ready and things before you start shooting. But this, it's really about 48 minutes until you get to the real gunfire. And there's going to be a lot of jokes along the way. I mean, if you think Al-Qaeda playing Dance Dance Revolution in a convenience store is funny, Postal's the movie for you.
1: (laughs) If you think cops blowing off poor women's heads at a stoplight is funny and then invoking the fact that she said the n-word to him which she didn't is funny this might be just for you
2: that is uva he completely admitted that is his fantasy because apparently his words in vancouver there are too many quote Chinese people driving like retards, end quote. Yeah,
3: okay. Well, so there it is. And it's on PC. The game's on PC. And go with it or not. You know whether you need to watch any more of this movie early on. I find it helpful. You will either be grooving to this or you will not. Like I said, I am actually surprised that it is... I think a decent representation of an offensive Kentucky Fried movie style vibe. I think it actually works on its own terms. It's just a lot of setup. We have him going for this job. He goes into this conference room where, like, the enemies of the CEO, their heads are on a stick. And, you know, do we need all of it? He goes to the welfare office. He will go repeatedly back to his trailer and find out his wife is cheating on him. I know we want to see a lot of people killed. Do we need to meet the them all because it will take 28 minutes before a gun lands in dude's hands.
1: I feel like if they're going to spend this much time not getting into the action, at least start building up good reasons why we should feel for dude as seeing him being kept down and screwed over. But a lot of these situations aren't that. It's more played for comedy that's not landing. And at the end of a lot of these scenes, I just don't feel anything for anybody. It just felt like a misstep to start this way and not make dude more empathetic to us
2: the first half an hour of this is like a really vulgar version of office space Mm -hmm. and the biggest thing that this movie has going for it is a stream of recognizable faces be it jk simmons as some guy on a street corner yelling about 9-11 victims or be it a guy whose name i don't know eric avari but whose face i sure as hell know from the mummy movies and stargate as a convenience store owner or yeah this guy doing the job interview rick hoffman he was one of the bad guys in the two hostile films so i really like seeing these people the problem entirely is zach ward Zach Ward is probably a great character actor, but he does not have the charisma or the presence to lead a film. I think of Ron Livingston, the guy who did star in Office Space, and think that when Postal Dude is trying to balance on that broken chair in the middle of the job interview, Ron Livingston could really sell it. But Zach Ward... He just is not going to be somebody who I want to see him get the job and get the girl. I'm fine with him.
3: I'll say this. He's got the kind of face that can look angelic and devilish. And since you're playing with that in this character, I think it works. Where I feel sympathetic for him, the circumstance that is contrived, is that all of this that's befallen him is really not his fault. That we will eventually find when he gets to doom the denomination of organic monotheism, a cult that was created as a money-making scam by his Uncle Dave, we'll find out that Uncle Dave should have gone to jail. That this guy went to jail instead and can't get a good job is now stuck in the trailer park while Uncle Dave is living it up, bedding beautiful blondes five at a time and having people praise him as the second coming of
2: Jesus. It's just so unfair. And my favorite character, my favorite actor in this movie, Dave Foley, Uncle Dave. The guy who, much like people think about L. Ron Hubbard, decided the best way to make a lot of money and get a lot of women would be to start a religion. And he even wrote his own Bible, kind of like the Book of Mormon, only it's the Book of Dave. And this is in the game. There is a cult
3: just like this. You do mow it down. I think even in the first game, there was, like, you go into a church or something. This has always been a part of the gameplay. We know these people are going to be set up to be mowed down. I was thinking about the Church of Bob. That's what it kind of reminded me of. Do you remember this thing? It was kind of like a fake religion that popped up in the 90s where this grinning 1950s icon was like, it's kind of like the spaghetti people. Yeah, I was
2: a, I was a pasta fairy. Yeah, a there, there
3: was all of this mock religion to kind of underline criticism about established, organized religion. Church of Bob was one of them. I thought they were actually referencing that. It took me a while to remember that it was the Church of Bob and not the Church of Dave, but same idea here. This also
1: isn't too far removed from Branch Davidian, you know, the Waco disaster. I mean, this is maybe 10 years past that, but there could be some of that, and there's some crazy cult leader. David Koresh, that's right. Yeah, I don't know if any of that was maybe inspired by that, but we don't necessarily see Dave having any nefarious plot. He really is just playing the guy who's floating through life and getting by by taking advantage of other people.
3: Yeah, but it's costing him. What we find out is he has this toady, Richie, that comes to him with the bill. They haven't been paying taxes. He's got to come up with a million dollars. How is he going to do it? And when
2: Richie tells him the scene of the movie is here, right? We get full frontal foley and... He just is sitting there taking a shit in the middle of the room and doesn't wipe his ass.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely no modesty here. And you know what? I will never say anything about any actor taking any role for any reason. But I can't imagine looking at the script fully He's like, you know what? Full frontal is absolutely essential to this <laughs> scene to sell it for this film. It just it seems so out of place.
2: And yet that's what happened. It was not in the script. It was while location scouting, they found the toilet in the middle of a room without a door. And when getting ready for the scene, Uva and Dave together were like, Yep, let's do full frontal. <laughs> Yeah, I can believe that.
3: It feels totally appropriate to this movie. This movie's going to throw everything it can at you. And yeah, seeing a penis on screen is still relatively rare. I mean, compared to titty shots, pretty rare in American film.
2: Especially in one that's rated R. I mean, we're watching the unrated cut, but that penis made it into the MPAA R cut. And that is shocking to me because if you watch, say, Eurotrip, the peens there are only in the unrated cut. You watch the rated R cut, you get no wang. Well, you know what? I would have a little bit more respect
1: for that decision if we had a little bit of backstory where they were doing it just to get one over on the the MPAA. Where it's like, we want them to come back and say, "All right, you can have 15 seconds of dick on screen, and right now you have 35, so we're gonna need to cut it down." But there's none of that. It's just hanging dong for hanging dong's sake
3: yeah and he's shitting and the richie guy is gagging and again it's repulsive it's not really funny it's the shock laughter it's like wow i just am so repulsed that it's gonna like hit me in the stomach and something that sounds like a laugh is gonna come out of my mouth
2: and the problem i'm having is this movie is not impacting me i'm like oh so you're doing that Oh, so you're going to try this now. Oh, yes, that is really disgusting. Correct. But I am neither actually disgusted, nor am I laughing at the disgust. I just look at them. I mean, you mentioned Mel Brooks. I think they're trying to be blazing saddles. Mm -hmm. But all I could think of was the burning lunch bag of dog shit. That's what's blazing around here. And I never laughed once. I never smiled. I never smirked this whole film. And we've talked about reviewing comedies. And you don't want to go through and just say the humor worked for me or the humor didn't. But I will agree with Justin. This humor is very tone deaf in that it tries to literally throw shit at walls and become as offensive as possible. Down to Vern Troyer eventually getting raped by an ape. It's trying too hard and not hitting. I agree with you completely,
1: but I will say if we're counting jokes, there was two in this movie that I will give it credit for. Early on when he's in that job interview and the stenographer lady is asking him questions.
3: <laughs> she, right, she asks
1: him right. a question and leaves a, an and hanging there forever. There was some good timing there. That got a chuckle out of me. You're right. You're right. Those questions, I smirked. What's the difference between a duck and... And she just leaves it hanging. What's the difference between a duck?
2: The one I liked was, if you were in a box, how would you think outside it? (laughs) I mean, okay. Again, it's office space humor. Someone's got a case of the Mondays. It's honestly like cast-offs from Mike Judge's recycle bin. Sure.
1: And then I guess the other clever visual pun I'll give them is later on in the movie when they do get to the amusement park that is German land, you can obviously see that it used to be Holland land and they just painted over it with the German stuff. That's a little bit of a two-level joke there. It's kind of funny. It's kind of clever. And they didn't feel the need to actually point it out verbally. So I gave them a little bit of credit for that.
3: I'll be nicer. I know that we don't want to give Uva Bull any credit at all whatsoever. We hate you. We hate you. We hate you. I think that this is his area. He's excelling by doing this. Which is not to say that I like it, just that I can recognize this movie is funny in a way that when they tried to be funny with House of the Dead, they completely and totally failed. It was totally off from the rest of the movie they were trying to tell. They were trying to do a George Romero, and then they would throw these postal jokes in, and it just stunk up the screen. Here, at least, it is a consistent vibe, and you may find yourself more than once smiling or laughing out
2: loud. I still think that Uva, whether I'm discussing his funny cut of House of the Dead or Postal, both of which came out within a year of each other, I might add, I don't think he's funny.
3: No, no, I don't either. I mean, again, in giving that compliment, I would like to just remind everyone it was the humor I hated most. I really hate that he thinks he's funny. But I do think that he's better at being funny than he's being at an action movie or, you know, a horror movie or trying to make a teen drama about shooting up a school. The strength of what he can do is to thumb his nose at us. I do feel like that is
2: his level. And not to spoil my hand too much, but of all the Uva Bull films we've reviewed, which consists of all the Uva Bowl films I've ever seen, this is the one working most. This is the one... Where especially after the sequels to the UVA Bowl films we've had to watch, like House of the Dead 2 and Alone in the Dark 2, and it's not even Uva Bowl franchise, but Tekken 2, compared to all the twos we've had to sit in, this one is much better.
1: You know, I'll say this. I agree with both of you. And what it feels like we're saying is is okay, if Uva Bowl is a soft drink, he's not Coke, he's not Pepsi, he might be RC. I'm going to vote Jolt. Jolt. There you go. Yeah. An off brand of an off brand with intentional shock value put in. That's what we're looking at here. It's he's not a great comic writer but he's better at it than the other stuff that he's tried. I'll give him that.
3: And it just keeps coming at you. Like, this guy dude will go to the welfare office, and, I mean, I'd never laughed once, but I thought in my head, yeah, it's kind of funny that he's so interested in getting a a higher number to be seen by the teller that when gunfire breaks out, he's going around to the various corpses and trying to get their numbers, comparing it with his to see (laughs) if he can get there earlier, only to be told they're closed for the day when he gets to the window. There is... I've seen it many times. Comedy can oftentimes lie in Charlie Chaplin or Adam Sandler, the comedian of the day, being the punching bag of the world. And you see them flailing back and forth as everything around them just gives them a wallop. And I think that this is in that tradition. It is pugilistic to watch this guy bounce from scene to scene until he is finally ready to take action. It takes Michael Paré as a... Well, he's a homeless man that's wearing a lot of gold and looks like he's doing pretty well for himself. But he's like, I want money. And if you don't give me money, I'm going to pull a gun on you.
2: Michael Paré. Eddie from Eddie and the Cruisers. This is a real actor here. I had to look up why the hell is Michael Paré in this film at all, let alone in this tiny role as a panhandler it turns out he is starring in uva bowl's vietnam war period piece that if i'd had one more day i would have actually watched because i'm curious to see what the hell uva could do in a vietnam film called 1968 tunnel rats but it starred michael pare and that's why he's here
3: yeah he was in heart of america he was in for five seconds alone in the dark too i mean he is a friend You call him up and he'll show up for Uva. I think Uva needs to keep friends because I think a lot of people probably don't want to work with him. But yes, this is a guy that consistently shows up and he makes the point. You know, the joke is this guy doesn't need money. Our hero needs more money than this guy. And yet the hero is the one expected to produce money or he'll be shot. And in the struggle where I don't think the dude actually intends to do anything, the homeless person is shot, falls down dead. And now he's in possession of a gun. He doesn't go into a killing spree, but he is feeling like I want to be an active character now. This moment is at least inspiring enough for him to call up Uncle Dave and say alright, I'll cook up the plan on how to get you out of debt. And it's going to involve crotchy dolls.
1: I do feel real quick that this was a bit of a missed opportunity because by the time Postal Dude does decide to start pulling the trigger and indiscriminately killing people, it seems like a abrupt Right turn from where he's been going. This would have been a good place for him to snap and get that gun and kill one person for what would be a justified reason at that point.
2: I think that part of the humor of the Postal Games is killing and killing indiscriminately especially in Postal 2, where you can kill the boss that fired you, you kill random people on the street, you kill protesters. Stuart, you said this is the best Uwe Boll adaptation in capturing the spirit of a game, but I feel that our Postal dude never revels in the fun of killing. The person who's reveling in the fun of killing is Uwe Boll, because he is enjoying, oh my god, can you believe I did that?! Postal Dude even apologizes as he's killing people. Yeah, I think that is where this deviates from the game a lot, is if you've got a guy named Postal Dude, I think the humor would be, hey, I'm going to go kill people and we're going to be funny about it.
3: Yeah, but it's a 90-minute movie and they're going to make that the climax. I get it that they want to hold off and wait. They've actually reversed the joke. The joke is he's going to be left holding a gun many times in the second act and people are going to think he is the mass killer. And in fact, he's the only one innocent on screen. That is a classic comedian peril. That feels like Charlie Chaplin. That just feels like a constant in comedy. I'm okay with that choice. I'm not sure I'm okay with this plot, though, because they're wanting you to believe that America is obsessed with a furry that looks like a penis and balls.
2: It's trying to be a Cabbage Patch Kid in the demand for it. The fact that everybody wants this doll. Sure. But it's crotchy with a K. I'm like, I didn't even get that it looked like a crotch until you said it. And I'm like, oh, that's what they're going to me. It looked like Mr. Hanky the Christmas Poo from South Park.
1: Yeah, maybe it's a take on Beanie Babies, which might have been somewhat... No, Beanie Babies were
2: done by the time this movie came out, so you're right. Barney, whatever. It's whatever the hot toy is, yes. Well, Barney never went for a lot of money online, though. I mean, Beanie Babies had their heyday with money, and here the Crotchy Dolls are voiced by Vern Troyer, so that's why Vern Troyer is coming to Little Germany. And the statement is: the boat from China sank with all the Crotchy Dolls, and only four thousand Crotchy Dolls made it, and they were all earmarked for sale in Little Germany.
1: It's worth to point out here, too, that Vern Troyer is here because Gary Coleman, who was in the game and quite heavy in the marketing of Postal
2: 2... And very fun to kill. And very fun to kill in that
1: game, refused to be in this movie because it was just too dirty for his sensibilities. So they went with the next... He's great, busy, so little type of actor.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. Because Crouchy is in the game. This is not something Uva came up with. That was just something in the game. I forgot about the Gary Coleman bit, but that now that makes sense. Vern Troyer is probably even a better choice because he's more contemporary. More people know
2: who he is than Gary Coleman in 2007. Yeah, but the thought of Gary Coleman turning down a job? This was around the time he was working security, wasn't it? Yes, but he also got very godlike at this point.
3: Yeah, and if you've ever seen the musical Avenue Q, he's a character in that. They, oh, yeah, I did see that. He wasn't in it himself. No, there is a woman, usually a short black woman is playing him, but it is a character in that story full of filthy Muppets. It was a thing to do. If you were a kitschy star of the 70s or 80s, you could make money off of that in the 90s, 2000s, by laughing off of that image and so yeah he had done it a lot i don't think he's above making something like postal but maybe he just didn't want to work with uva who could fault him for that
2: i really do think that a lot of the people who didn't want to be in this film knew uva knew of uva Honestly, I have nothing to lose. I'm not in Hollywood. I'm not an actor. I wouldn't go into an Uva Ball film. <laughs> right. It's not going to help your career.
3: You know, at this point in 2007, with him boxing internet critics and all these movies in the trash, and I mean, just look at any of them, they're unprofessional. You do it if you have to, or you do it because you like Uva, but you don't do it because you think it'll help you get exposure. Sure, you, you can only hope to survive it. Like someone like
1: J.K. Simmons can pop into a movie like this and hope to survive to be a character actor moving forward. Yeah,
3: he won an Oscar. Somehow he was in Postal and went on to win an Academy Award.
2: I really think having worked in an UVA Bowl film would immediately disqualify you mm-hmm. from an Academy Award. Right. Especially since he was also known as that insurance pitch man to the point where Neil Patrick Harris went, he won an Oscar, bum-ba-dum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum. But somehow, I think this film, because it was only in four theaters, he escaped it like Christian Slater would never be able to overcome this Tara Reed, but they're not in any danger of winning an Oscar anyway <laughs> but somehow he avoided being related to this I mean this film was nominated for several Razzies sure and because at that point the
3: damage was done you see the name Uva Boll and you're getting nominated I mean that is how contentious it is I just want to assert out there if you like these kinds of offensive foul movies it's not the worst one I've seen I do think that Jakey Simpson. Simmons is, you know, doing a fairly good riff one. George Bush is a fake, the moon landing never happened. It's
2: it's all improv. J.K. Simmons just came up with it on the spot. Yeah, It works in what it
3: has to do, and he's just a a madman street preacher that meets a a suicide bomber. He is proselytizing outside the convenience store where the Taliban is hiding, and it is also where Dude is going to go to get a carjack. They actually just sell things that you can break cars into. (laughs) He's going to buy one of those and witness a suicide bomber blowing up the street preacher. He will not know that the Taliban is also in the back. They have a man cave, a literal man cave. Osama is filming all of his videos there and they are planning to steal the crotchy dolls as well. I wonder if Shane
2: Black saw this because I got a real Iron Man 3.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a
3: little bit of a Trevor
1: vibe here. And I will give him, you know, credit for this juxtaposition. It's a funny conceit. It's not a running gag that's going to carry your film. But it was a one-note joke that I appreciated.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's... You could see other movies that do it and you probably liked some of them. This one is not as expertly made or maybe the actors aren't nailing it as well. But I don't think it's the worst one either. That's the balance that I'm fine. As much as I wanted
2: to hate this movie, I just find myself slightly annoyed. (laughs) And I'll agree, I'm not loathing this movie. I'm not finding it funny. Mm -mm. And it was really a personal challenge to do in one sitting because I was highly disinterested. But it is moving forward. Things finally pick up for me when they do go to steal the crotchy dolls. When we finally are getting a plot, and these four scantily clad cult members, and Uncle Dave, and Postal Dude, and Richie are all going to Little Germany, and that's where Uva Bowl is there, as is the creator of the Postal Games, who's attacking Uva for ruining his game. Yeah, and want to point out if you
3: play Postal Three, they're both characters in it as well. They will interrupt the movie and pop up.
2: I did play Postal 3 and I was going to talk about it at the end because it came out after this movie but that means these people saw the movie Uva made and said we still want to talk to you. Come over and be a voice in our game. I don't think it's that different
3: in spirit. That's what I would argue is that if you like the game, chances are you're going to like something about this movie. Maybe it doesn't live up to everything that you wanted and again, it's certainly hard to throw your arms around Uva unless you do have dynamite on your belt. I mean, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be his friend. But it's not so awful. The thing
1: that I could say to that, Stuart, is that, yes, a lot of the things in this movie also happen in the game. But I think the big difference is, is in the game, I think maybe it's what you attach to the character yourself, but... I feel like the game earns this downtrodden man who's been pushed to the brink and gives it some sort of reason for him to go off and go postal, where this movie's earning none of that. This movie's just kind of basking in the gore and the grit of their crass jokes.
2: It is trying to give him a reason, but because the jokes aren't landing, it's not a black comedy. I think that's where it really fails is a black comedy is a movie that's so bleak but yet you're finding yourself laughing because you have no other choice here they're trying to be daring and risky and all of that brave, brave but it's not black humor i see things happening to our postal dude, but it's not sold to me in such a way where I see this actor boiling up with anger and that everything is going to finally snap within him. No, that's not the character. I do think it is a black comedy. I don't know how you can argue it's not when Uva Boll pulls out the
3: teeth of Jews that were gold and pays Vern Troyer for showing up. I mean, that's dark comedy. There's no other way to slice that. That's black as midnight comedy. You know, he really does love I think he loves being the center of attention. But this scene where he's getting the TV interview and Uva Bowl is going on about, yeah, I profit from Nazi gold and everything in this park from the David Hasselhoff brew house to, you know, the concentration camp simulation ride. This is him just reveling. At this point, he is the center of attention. He's allowed to just say, hey, haven't I pissed you off? Most bullies do like this moment. It's the gloating.
1: And I guess maybe I'd take exception with the word comedy here. Comedy brings with it, you know, a little bit of weight. It's black humor. But comedy, I think, is a little loftier than that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I usually like satire that has, it has a point of view. Sure, it's hitting a lot of different targets, but it's all in keeping with the theme. If uva has got a theme, it's basically that everyone's stupid. That's not a very evolved mentality. Everything is stupid, and I'm going to make fun of everything. Okay, but don't expect me to be impressed as a satire. That's pretty lazy. His appearance
1: here very much comes off as what I would imagine a lot of modern-day political trolls are doing right now. Yes. Sitting around on Facebook just saying things they don't necessarily believe, but they're just saying it for the reaction that they're trying to get.
2: Or Twitter. Exactly. But... By having himself in here, it is showing kind of a meta-knowledge. It's right there with where he lives now, though. I mean, I do follow him on Twitter. These are the types of jokes he makes. And by having him attacked by the game designer and all of that, he's trying. I think he will eventually get past his anger it's like you said about the funny version of House of the Dead. He's trying to be in on the joke. He wants to be Tommy Wiseau. If he can't make a good movie, he's going to be like, see, isn't this some shit? And look, I'm making fun of me being beaten up and shot in the cock because I'm making the shit.
3: Yes, he is definitely trying to embrace the label that he's a terrible filmmaker. At the same time that I think he'd like to prove that he isn't. My my reference for this is Art Kelly when he put out all those trapped in the closet at music videos and then found out people were laughing at him he put out more that were like intentionally funny to make a really funny bad movie the person can't be in on the joke here if you're laughing you're laughing with uva you're not laughing at it you can't laugh at this movie because of the way that he structured it
2: and there is so much else going on here i will say this movie has an incredible George W. Bush impersonator. The voice, the facial expression, this guy has it down. He's the single best cast person in the film.
1: <laughs> definitely, yeah. I mean, he he definitely evoked the feeling of the mid-2000s and what it was like to live under George Bush with the lovable doofus
2: type of vibe. Yeah, you know how there's all those rumors that Avril Lavigne was replaced with a body double and she really died? no. yeah that's a thing google it but anyway this guy's good enough where you could actually have him replace george w like in that movie dave and nobody would notice uh they did make a movie like that oliver stone had w and i think josh brolin
3: was better but yeah this guy kind of looks more like george w bush and here's the thing Uva Bowl again, he is laughing at himself, but he is also emulating. He wants to be considered a great filmmaker like Stanley Kubrick. And I do feel like this movie in these Bush and Osama scenes is really trying to milk that dynamic of the Cold War from Dr. Strangelove. They really want to hit that label. Anytime he goes political, you can see him trying to have... It's when the movie's at its weakest and least funny, in my impression, is when they're trying to have something to say about the political climate. Uva, just fart... And belch and vomit, that's all you're going to do. Don't try to tell me you have anything relevatory to say about what George Bush and Osama bin Laden cook up when no one's looking. You're right with the emulation, and I think
1: Arnie nailed it earlier. Even when he's aiming for a lower target of his affection to try to emulate, he's aiming for Matt and Trey from South Park. He he just has none of their charm and none of their storytelling abilities.
3: Yeah, I, but I think that some of the audience for that may enjoy it, but I don't think any of the audience for Doctor Strange Love will enjoy this. It's two different things that do not go well together.
2: Yeah. But I don't know that you could make Dr. Strangelove today and keep that same tone. He's strangely trying for Mass Appeal in a film that's going to make less than $150,000 at the theater. Mass Appeal? I,
3: you have a very different idea of, of what Mass Appeal could be. This is definitely not going to play to children and grandma. But no, but I'm saying like South Park movie. Yeah, that they're an anomaly that they have the audience they have. I still consider that a cult audience, but hey, whatever. This is a heist in the middle of this movie we suddenly have everyone scamming to get a case of crotchies it's where it becomes the game all of a sudden there is gunfire you are seeing little kids mowed down you are seeing yeah uva shot in the testicles they're just trying to literally throw it all at the screen this is also where we see faith uh, we haven't mentioned her yet, but she is this barista that I think our main character admires because she doesn't have a lot of respect for a customer. She goes postal. She teaches him what it is to be postal earlier in the movie. She's at this amusement park too. She's packing heat. She's firing back when people are firing missiles. It's setting up the long-term romance and that these two are going to get together.
2: Yeah, and that's a perfectly fine romance there. I do think that For his arc of being cuckolded as bad as he was, Postal Dude needs a girlfriend. I wish there was something that actually made me feel chemistry between Jackie Tone and him. I don't know Jackie Tone. I see she's on that Glow series that I don't watch. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah,
1: I don't know her either. I I have seen Glow a little bit and maybe I'd recognize her if they weren't wearing such heavy makeup on that series. But here, she's not really working for me. She's she's overly sarcastic and she's just over the top in what she's trying to do. And the movie keeps trying to tell us how gorgeous she is. And it's like, okay, fine. She's fine. She's tough. She says what she wants to say. Let's not oversell the beauty part of it. And let's just keep moving.
3: I'm going to put it out here. We're what? About 50 minutes into this movie. I'm considering, hey, you know, it's working well enough for a certain type. It's not my kind of movie. I don't like the movie, but I'm trying to, you know, advise people that do like Ron humor. If there's something here for them, I am saying go for it. It's after this point. It's after we leave the German amusement park that I feel like the movie runs out of steam and fast. There is 45 more minutes
2: to go and there is just no more jokes to tell. Oh, you're considering giving it a green arrow at this point? I was literally considering turning it off at this point and coming back later. When they start shooting and it's not entertaining then either i kept waiting for the bloodshed to start where we would get where the game began right it's here it's finally here and it's not funny the fact that other than uva's crotch the only thing that die are a bunch of school children i'm like you are trying so hard to offend me that i can't be offended by this you're just covered in flop sweat I've said it before, and it's like, you know, sometimes
1: nudity can become boring. If somebody's naked in a movie for 90 minutes, at some point, you no longer get titillated by that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it just becomes part of the background. And by the time we're seeing children mowed down, even if I was being offended, I think I would have run out of gas with my offense at this point. And if that's the game they're playing is constantly upping the stakes at what could offend somebody, well, you're done when you mow down a bunch of kids.
2: Yeah,
3: it's also worth pointing out, they don't just kill kids. There's a guy in a wheelchair, too. They have a running gag that this corrupt cop is using a guy in a wheelchair that we think he might be a vet or something like that. But uh, he uses him to panhandle for him and then collects the change at the end of the day and stuffs him in his garage. I think he's feeding him opiates in like an IV bag. Maybe there's some joke there if you're willing to laugh about our current treatment of veterans. But it's a lot of the same kind of joke. What I'm going to point out is, I don't think it's funny, but sometimes you guys have told me, oh, it's very funny. We have reviewed movies where you do not tire of this stuff, Deadpool. And I just think that it's not that much different than some of those films. Maybe I'm ruining my
1: overall thoughts on this a little bit, but I don't think it's any surprise. The key difference there, is, Stuart, is... Having somebody that you can relate to on some level to make that work for you. And for me, I very much admit that I like Deadpool as a character on the page, but for me, it all comes down to Ryan Reynolds. If you do not like Ryan Reynolds, you're going to hate
2: Deadpool. And that's exactly what I was saying about Zach Ward. If I could go with his plight, I hadn't even considered Deadpool, but I so went with Deadpool because of that romance in the beginning, before he goes into the cancer treatment. That romance is what makes me like Wade Wilson. Zach Ward has none of it. I blame the script as much as the actor. And also Zach Ward was hired to play the white cop and, He got promoted to lead because they couldn't find anybody to take the lead. So the script caused that this was the best actor they could get. But I think about movies that worked a little bit better, like John Dies at the End, the charisma of the lead is so important to making a movie break or win and yeah that's why Deadpool works for me and this doesn't as well as Deadpool seems to push the envelope in ways that makes me laugh and this doesn't again it's hard to describe why some humor works and why it doesn't but here these are jokes I had already heard on South Park and Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool makes it look effortless and here I feel, they're again, they're just straining. They're like constipated with these jokes and the veins are bulging out of their necks and they're trying to push it out and it's just not making me laugh. It's the
1: difference between the class clown who has impeccable timing, can make the whole class laugh, and the kid sitting next to him who's flicking boogers at people thinking that's funny.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is what I'm getting to with my point now that we're 45 minutes from an end. I need this to come together as a character piece. I need Zach Ward and Faith to get together as a couple and start mowing people down and me love them for it. Like it's Natural Born Killers or Bonnie and Clyde. We're rooting for them to take down this awful 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 world they've told us a million times over this is a terrible place that deserves every single bullet so let's have some fun with that And I feel like the movie loses focus. We lose track of faith and they go back to the religious complex. And it's much more about, yeah, this guy Richie and this crotchy doll thing. I'm hating this thing, but this crotchy doll has bird flu and who's going to release it and how. All of these mechanics, that's not the focus. If they had made it a convincing love story and made it satirical that we're rooting for an apocalyptic ending that these two contrive, that would be funny. But as is, this
2: ending ain't funny. No, this whole shootout should be better. And I think of some of the action movies where the shootouts are funny. You get funny lines, you get funny action, kind of like Lethal Weapon 2 to a degree or Beverly Hills Cop 2. There's ways of having shootouts be funny and the escalation be ludicrous. And here... Maybe it's a budget thing. I mean, maybe they just don't have the money to do much more than the squibs that they do and have everybody just in very unexciting car chases. I'll say they spent some money when they do kill the welfare worker. There was some CGI in that. Mm -hmm. It's not that they didn't have money. I'm sure
1: budget was a concern. But when you read things like they spent $45,000 on the puppet of the cat silencer gag. Well, that's a thing from the game, though. You do have a cat silencer in the game. Sure, but I'm saying like mismanagement of the funds for something that they end up using improperly or not with the same spirit that it's used in the game. It just something that they threw in there because it's like it almost felt like a checkbox. Oh hey, as you're doing a postal game, don't forget a cat silencer.
3: Yeah, they're definitely checking up boxes, which again I'm not gonna ding them for that. Uva needed to make his movies more like the games. We've had that problem so far with Alone in the Dark and House of the Dead. Okay, tick those boxes, please those fan bases. But do it well. And again, do it with faith and dude together. Then we have something to root for a happy ending that we want to see transpire. Instead,
2: it just feels really messy, like skit movies do. And this is just so poorly written. I just envision Uva sitting over a computer being like, How could I offend them next? I'll have them run over a baby. But you know what he's not worried about? And From seeing, what, three of his films now? One of them three times? He's never worried about character motivation, character arcs. You know what would be so much better is if Faith maybe was also in the cult. Oh, you're here at Uncle Dave's and that he's trying to help her get out or something to have her have a reason for being involved in this other than she happened to be serving coffee at Little Germany Amusement Park that day.
3: Yeah, it's all kind of random. They've set up all these, a multitude of characters. It's all random how they're taken out here. They don't feel orchestrated in a way that feels well, certainly not masterful, but even competent.
1: No, yeah, and I mean, I feel like they kind of use the excuse that this is just a small town, like from the game, and you might run into the same type of people all over the place, but it really just doesn't matter in the end.
3: That's certainly my problem, is that I was willing to say, okay, you have created the game on screen, you've given me people that I feel like are good enough to pull off this one-joke premise, but then the follow-through, what we've all come for, the postal situation, is a real letdown, and it's hard to know why that is, it seems like a multiple of factors one is that they take out dave foley too early and there really isn't too many likable characters at this point
2: yeah dave foley was my shining star in here if i gave this a week not recommend there was never a shot at recommending once the gunfire started but if i were to give this a week not recommend it would be because dave foley when he has his pants on is actually funny in this film he's giving what he gives it. You know who else who is doing the best they can with what they're given here? Vern Troyer. Mm. I usually don't like Vern Troyer. I usually other than the second Austin Powers film. What? Oh, okay. Just the second one. Yeah, but <laughs> when he came back in the third it was too much and he wasn't in the first. Oh, okay. I get them all confused. But other than the second Austin Powers film, I have yet to see a movie where Vern Troyer is used to any effect until here. There are some, in theory, funny gags of his suitcase is full of dildos, including a glow-in-the-dark one he's going to use as a flashlight when he's kept in his own suitcase. But both of these, the two best actors in the film, if I can go that far, are taken out simultaneously because of Dave's prophecy that there will be an apocalypse when a tiny celebrity is raped by a hundred apes. And so they have Vern Troyer and a hundred apes, and Vern Troyer's gonna take it up from a monkey.
1: And look there's more of their budget being wasted on screen. They actually animated a whole room full of chimps.
3: And yet, I understand the need to go for it. What would this movie do by withholding? How would it help the movie to do less? The whole point of this movie, it has one mission, and that is to go for your gut. And so that's what they're doing. They're just on all cylinders, just firing away, trying to get a rise out of you. I think that you're right now that you've said it. Deadpool solved the problem of too much one jokedness, at least in the first movie, by having two characters you wanted to see get together at the end. And here, dude has just spent too much time randomly bouncing off each other person. I do think it's kind of funny, once he gets back into town, the police are looking for him using the photo from the character from the video game. He's got a mullet, (laughs) and it it looks like he did in Postal 1, and of course,
2: no one's going to recognize him from that. That was rather amusing, and I think they could have done a little bit more of that kind of humor. But you know what? Here's the thing. Postal was not a hit game. Postal did not get great reviews. Postal has had legs, but nobody's become rich off Postal. It is not Grand Theft Auto. It is not Doom. It is not even, dare I say, alone in the dark. But what happened was apparently the German Postal fan group online really petitioned for uva to adapt that movie and so that's how it came about is a bunch of german fans were just asking for it
3: Yeah, we were all asking for it by letting him make another movie. But I think it just fit his mentality five years into making unpopular films. Yeah, he is ready to just blast back at us. And all right, so let's just cut to the chase. We finally get to a trailer park. Everything is about everyone trying to get a van full of dolls that have bird flu in it. And yeah, our main character tries to make peace. And of course, nobody wants that. And we have, yeah, the game. This is where everyone gets mowed down. This is where we get to see the dude become the postal dude. He is now the character in the video game. Yeah, bullets
1: flying everywhere. He's killing his neighbors. He's killing the terrorists that have shown up. The cops are there doing his wife at the time. And his overall plan is to blow up the truck and his trailer all at once. So it's him and Faith- you know, in what looks to be their final showdown, because they're surrounded on all sides. And it's a scene that I guess maybe fans
3: are waiting for, but to me, it just drags on and on. And on. Again, it's hard for me to measure this because I don't like this kind of humor. But it's just, I don't know why anyone would still be laughing over the same joke. It hasn't reinvented itself. It hasn't asked more of its finale than it asked in the beginning. It's been too much of uva bowl snickering and we're done. I do feel like this movie would have been on stronger footing if it had ended 20 minutes earlier. Even though it's only 90 minutes, I do think an excessively short feature would have served this comedy better. Yeah, they could have cut the
1: whole going to the compound, him leaving the compound for unknown reasons until maybe a little bit later he explains he was getting the van and hiding it, which was unnecessary. It felt too long and there was obvious places to cut. I agree.
3: But eventually, I mean, it all ends in a fat joke, right? He finally hits that bomb. He realizes he can't convince these people of peace. And so he's going to blow up the trailer with the dirty cops, with his obese wife. And she's so fat that, like, the flesh for miles is coating Main Street. And we
2: have lots of visual gags of people getting goo. Yeah. It reminded me of almost the end of Ghostbusters 2 with all the purple slime and everybody getting slimed. But it's not funny.
1: Nope, and that's not even the
2: big exclamation point.
1: Like you said in the plot summary, the final scene is Osama Bin Laden and Georgie Boy Bush running off into the desert as nuclear explosions are going off. Yeah, they
3: needed to work on this part, right? I mean, I get you're going to do Strange Love and that memorably ended with us being begged to laugh at our own annihilation through nuclear proliferation. I just don't really understand why did it happen. It's just
1: because at the core of who he is, I think Uva Boll is just a nihilist. Oh, no,
3: no. I know why he can try <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. I know why he can try it. They tell us that W
2: and China... He blamed China and Pakistan for all the death in Paradise City, the same as he blamed Iraq for 9-11, and so he nuked China, but before his nukes landed, China got 30 nukes off of their own.
3: Okay, what the part of that that I'm missing was I didn't realize the rest of the nation was outraged and horrified at what was happening at Paradise City and saw it as another World Trade Center epic kind of fall of America. Yeah, that's not shown in the movie at all. No, it's not there.
1: And who can blame you? It didn't even seem like the people of Paradise City were all that concerned with what was going on. I mean, there was a smaller crowd of people that were chasing him around looking for vigilante justice, but for the most part, a lot of people were just walking around doing their own thing.
3: Yeah, I know in the game, you do end up going to some complex and stealing a nuclear warhead. It does go there. You do end up watching mushroom clouds in the horizon. I don't think it's wrong to find a way to that ending. I just think that Uva is kind of lazy, and he just half got there, and he's just not a funny dude so what we get is a pale imitation
2: of Kubrick. so justin stewart how strongly do you not recommend postal justin it's kind of a balancing game here because i mean we've said it
1: all here we've said everything we need to say about this movie what was wrong with it what it could have been and maybe the more capable hands of a funnier director somebody with better sensibilities but at the end of the day what we're talking about here is uva bowl and his ego And I do feel like this movie is the beginning of him trolling and looking for negative attention. So I'm not going to give him the negative attention that he thinks he deserves by trying to be over-the-top offensive and over-the-top gory and over-the-top dark-humory. Because at the bottom of it, none of it worked. None of it matters. I was just sitting here bored. I wasn't ever shocked I wasn't ever entertained and I I definitely wasn't offended. And I think that's what he was peddling in here is how much can he offend somebody and then revel in somebody's disgust in this type of humor. Like it almost feels like he thinks of anybody who doesn't like this movie as a crotchety old lady clutching her pearls and oh my. And he's laughing at that, but that's just not who is seeing this and it's not where it's hitting. So you know what? I'm not going to give his movie any more thought than he did. And it's definitely not deserving of a brown arrow. If it's the type of thing where you think you like dark comedy and satire, there's a lot better choices out there. I mean, this is no airplane. This is no naked gun. This has nothing to say except for look how gross we can be. So your basic red arrow, and that's where I'm going to leave it for him. Stuart.
3: Yeah, you know, I consider it a silver lining of living in the Trump era that nothing can get to me like this anymore. Like people doing rude things and getting a rise out of you is a daily occurrence. I wake up every day and turn on the news and I go, uh, oh, I'm just inundated with it. So when something comes along like this, it's shadow boxing. It's like, nope. You can't land a single punch. I've seen it all before. Maybe one day, hopefully, our culture can be shocked by Postal. But we're unshockable at this point. We are beyond what Uva Boll thinks is, you know, the height of daring and bravery. I'll admit this much. It's not my style. I've said it many times. I've seen better examples of it. South Park's movie, Team America's movie. But It is not the worst either. I mean, we've covered Human Centipede 3, which is a total troll movie in which they do the exact same thing of how much offense can I throw at you at once. There are jokes here that land. And I think there is going to be a segment of people that gets served. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. And that's high praise for Uwe Boll, who is always called the worst filmmaker who can't do anything but make the worst version of any kind of movie. That said... Gentlemen, we have seven more bowls of bad filmmaking to get through. Three Dungeon Siege, three Blood Rain, and a Far Cry. And that feels very far to go indeed. It's like being told we're five minutes into a William Hong concert, and he's already saying she bangs. (laughs) (laughs) So how much more of this... Can I really take? We've laughed at Uva. We've cried at Uva. We've raged about Uva. I'm now over Uva. I'm numb to Uva. And I just can't imagine we're going to have anything fresh to say. My comfort is this is a bad movie. It's a mild red arrow, but we're going to take a break. We're not going to have another Uva movie until 2019. Maybe I'll feel different about it, but honestly, this is played out. This should be the last Uva Bowl anyone needs
2: to see. So basically, should bad directors be forgot (laughs) and their movies never watched? Yes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I think they have. I mean, again, I haven't heard of anything in the last five years that Uva's done that have has irritated people. Just got over it. They they threw him in the pile with Paris Hilton and everything else. You know, the Jersey Shore. Anything that was annoying to us, it's in that pile from ten years ago. When do the Kardashians get in that pile? I, they have somehow gotten a
2: lease on being put in that junkyard, <laughs> and I do not know why. <laughs> Uh, My thinking on this is, yeah, this is one of the better video game movies we've reviewed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that considering how bad it's been. And because it has been so bad lately, specifically the fighting games of Tekken, Tekken 2, DOA, Alone in the Dark, Alone in the Dark 2, it feels like I've been sludging through a sewer of shit. And here I'm only getting a golden shower. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is just sad that this video game retrospective has made me realize which chaos is much worse than Uva Ball could ever try to be. So Uva is not the worst director ever. No. He's not made the worst films in this series. Mm-hmm. I realized this when watching Postal and I went. You know, this isn't the worst time I've ever had, and I don't need the clockwork orange eye pieces to keep finishing it so that I can review it. It's a bad movie, but in certain ways, it's a watchable kind of bad. Absolutely. I, I think we're all there. I think we all saw the same film. So I actually don't even dread the future Uva the way that I would have before, because if it's like this... It's tolerable. And you know what? I look back. Alone in the Dark One, it had that bullet shot. House of the Dead had the nice camera moves. Everything Uwe's done, there's something to compliment.
3: Yeah, I'll interject with the Heart of America has some amazing, amazing tracking shots in it. It is technically very impressive in moments, even though it is kind of a lame message movie.
2: Yeah, so he's not... As bad as his reputation would have. I'm still not going to say he's good, nor am I getting in a boxing ring with that tough motherfucker. The problem is, you know, you never really should put a line in a movie that I can use against you. But somebody says that this is the place where laughter died and I couldn't agree more about this movie. I did not laugh at all. But I'll give it one last thing. It told me something I never knew. Something was said right at the end of the film that I had to rush to look up because it talks about the U.S. Air Force giving meth to its pilots so they stay awake. That's true. You've never heard that rumor before? It's not even a rumor. It is fact. And it only stopped last year. Mm. Well, yeah, amphetamines and methamphetamines have, yeah, chemically very close. Yeah, I couldn't believe that was true. But yeah, it's a not recommend It's just, you know, your middle of the road not recommend. The flamethrower is staying well in the closet, but yet... At no point did this movie ever give me anything beyond the box cover to say that I thought it might be a recommend. And we all watched the unrated cut. There are two more cuts out there, by the way. There's yeah, No, no, we're there, not. There's the German cut and the R-rated cut. I didn't like this movie enough to even trace them down, but movie censorship tells me that much like the funny version of House of the Dead, certain takes are different, certain lines are different couple things are in different orders, but it's all the same movie.
3: All the deleted scenes are actually interspersed in the credits. You can see where things have been elongated and changed. And you know, he makes a Vern Troyer's going to star in Pong joke. Uh, You know, it's there. I do not need any more of Uvable, And my sadness is there's just so much more still to come, but we're going to take a break. It's another gentleman going postal next week. Mike Myers. And not the comedians.
2: Yeah, the one with
3: (laughs) Herb Troyer. (laughs) No, no, not a reunion with many me. This is the real Mike Myers. And boy, I have been waiting for this film to see Halloween rebooted 2000. I'm going to call it H4O because it's been 40 years since the original.
2: Yeah, they called that last one H20 or H, which is still just a bad name. Yeah, (laughs) we think water, but uh, H4O makes me think I'm old. But I can't wait for it. I'm very curious to see how it goes. I'm the most excited for this that I have been for any Halloween film other than both number ones, you know? And I wasn't really that excited for the first one because I was a a kid. But Halloween 1 by Rob Zombie and this Halloween are the two that I've been most excited for. I think that... This has a chance of being as good as the original. I think there's people here who care about it. John Carpenter himself is involved. There's going to be respect to the old one and hopefully something new. Maybe this could do what Halloween did in the 70s. Reignite the slasher for us. We haven't had a slasher phase for... 15 years now. Scream was, I think, our last. Yeah, they're all becoming TV series.
3: No one wants to make movies anymore. But yeah, we'll see what it does for the horror genre, for the Halloween franchise, and for Jamie Lee Curtis, who's coming back as well. That's exciting. If you're a fan of her like I am, join us this Friday. Platinum donors are going to see why she was the screen Queen of 1980 in her third film from that year, Prom Night.
2: I really am looking forward to watching all the prom night films. I haven't seen any of them since, wow, the very early 90s or the late 80s. I saw prom night three on USA all night and decided I had to see the whole series and it never got better than three for me back then. So <laughs> I'll see how it goes this time.
1: <laughs> Might have to take some activity to screw the crap out of you this time.
3: <laughs> we'll have to see, but I hope fans can join us for that. And then, yeah, next week for Halloween, we'll be getting back to video games in a couple
2: weeks. Our next one up to bat, Silent Hill. So thank you for listening. We'll talk to you Friday for Brom Night. So then game over.
1: Wonderful
0: scene, Sammy. Just wonderful. You truly outdid yourself this time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Uwe Boll may be an infidel, but he made a very funny film. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And in the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Super Mario Brothers, Warcraft, Doom, Resident Evil, Alone in the Dark, Need for Speed, Street Fighter, House of the Dead Double Dragon, DOA, Dead or Alive, Mortal Kombat, It Came from the Desert, Tomb Raider, Tekken, Rampage, Wing Commander, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, and more.
2: I hate video games.
0: Also at our site you can find hundreds of other movie reviews including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious and more. And parents and children alike have been lining up for weeks to get their hands on them. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing Now Playing. Hey, yo, pal, you got a good job, you got a big car, you got everything and I got nothing. Help me out with a few bucks. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I find myself in in a financial situation. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Where's my money as wife? Well? I have even better. Go tees. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. We pay them, or everything is all over. The weenie whacking, the pantless parties, the tacos, everything. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website.
1: Last chance, come on, help me out with a few bucks.
0: If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. This is a prime example of why everybody should buy my book. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Citizens United,
2: let's get this fucker!
0: Now Playing podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho.
2: Oh, come on, Regina, I don't like to micromanage.
0: Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Steve and Arnie. You wrote a fucking Bible for these people? Now Playing credits read by Brock. Say we'll work for food in German. Uh, and you the shit. The opinions expressed on now playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. What happens up my ass stays up
1: my ass.
0: Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. That's a beautifully retarded sentiment. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated, all rights reserved.
3: I pretty much just play
2: by the rules. Nobody plays by the rules, all right? You bend them or you break them. Anything else is just slow death.
0: Now playing is a Vinganza Media Production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I just wish I knew how to quit ya.
2: Directed. By Uwe Bull. I didn't catch Vern
1: Troyer's name in there. I think he had more to do than J.K. Simmons.
2: And Vern Troyer. (laughs) I'm sure he was an and. (laughs) Because, you know, he deserves that. Oh, yes.
1: Yes, I do not support censorship on any level. I think it's just bad for America and freedom. But,
2: as a parent, I I do appreciate... (laughs)
3: My fellow Americans.
1: No, I... I do, I do appreciate.
3: <laughs> it's not the worst one I've seen. I do think that J.K. Simons is kind Simmons. of. It's, it's Simons, I believe. Isn't it? No, Simmons. Oh, okay. I do think J.K. Oh, shit. I do think J.K. Simon. Simon? Si- Simmons. Shit, shit. All right. I'm, I'm retraining my brain for the last 10 years. He's
2: Richard's brother. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <but laughs> you it's...
3: can't make me believe that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know how there's all those rumors that Avril Lavigne was replaced with a body double and she really died? No. (laughs) Yeah, that's a
1: thing. Google it. That's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down.
2: Okay. But it is a thing. They say she died in like 07 and...
1: Oh, there's moles they've taken pictures of. It's it's pretty intense.
2: Oh. Skater boy? We're talking about yeah. that? Okay. <laughs> her parents got her like body double decoy to pretend to actually be her after the real Avril died so that they could keep the money train going. Wow. <laughs>